What's everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Vice Squad. Is your boy Richard Rich? Brock. Kevin. And, and to, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, no. So today we got our special guest, uh, Mr. Eagle. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Mr. Eagle, please tell us about yourself. Please tell us. All right. That's that's an open-ended one. So uh, <laughs> currently, the way the way I was very very happy uh, to hear that you guys were doing a podcast. I, I think that's that's wonderful. So yeah, I think the easiest way is um, to say how I know you all. And I know you all because I am a teacher uh, in CPS at the Marine Leadership Academy, and I was fortunate enough to have all three of you as a student. What two years ago, right? Almost three now, I guess. Time flies. Yeah. Yeah, time flies. So I currently teach. AP government, civics, and criminal justice. But before I became a teacher, I had spent uh, just about 20 years, 19 to be exact, uh, as a lawyer, as a criminal defense lawyer, prosecutor. That's the only thing I did was was criminal, just flipped sides. So that's about it for my introduction. Were you ever a private lawyer? Yeah. So I started out the first six years. From 93 to 99, I was an assistant Cook County or a, a Cook County assistant state's attorney. So I was mm -hmm. a prosecutor. And then in 1999, I left and I opened my own law firm for one year. And then I had two other people join me and we had a three-person law firm from 2000 to, I believe, 2012. Or I practiced till 2012. They left a little earlier. But So yes, I was a private attorney. I did... Also, only criminal defense, and then we did anything from murders down to traffic tickets. Eventually, I don't know, three, four years into the private practice, I kind of transitioned and I did more federal work. So I would, I would do all of our federal cases. A lot of it was court appointed, some of it private hired, and then my partners would do the state court work. Interesting. Very interesting. What would you say was the most the most common law, not common law, common crime you saw as a lawyer? Drugs. Drug, <laughs> drug, drugs, drugs was easily, both in, in state and federal. You know, one of the things you have to, to keep in mind for, first of all, drugs, there's probably more drug cases than anything, period. Um, but if you're in private practice, it's also a business, right? And most people don't have the money to pay for a private lawyer for a murder or uh, a kind of a big, bigger sexual assault case. So if you're a private attorney, you mostly see drug cases, DUI cases, domestic violence cases. You see, you, you see a little lower, uh, not, I won't say seriousness because domestic violence is serious in DUI, but you, you see a little bit more of, uh, I don't want to say cheaper, I'm trying to think of how you say. You just see more of the lower offenses, because that's who that's who can afford who can afford a private attorney, unless you really have a niche where you're getting wealthy people. So mm -hmm. I, mostly drugs, and in, and in federal court, it was a a lot of drugs. The federal court ones were drugs, followed probably, believe it or not, by bank robberies. What? And yeah, wow. there, there a lot, I had a lot of bank robber candidates our uh, clients. And then we had a lot of immigration cases. It's called um, illegal reentry. If a person had been deported and then they come back and they're caught, uh, that's actually a crime. 
So they, we, we had a lot of those, a lot of those. Those were the, those were the biggest ones. And, and you those, were, sorry, uh, you were the prosecutor for those or the defendant? And no, no, no. I was the defendant for those. Okay. I started out when I was a prosecutor, I started out in the appellate division. So I just did criminal appeals. And then I went to the juvenile where I was in abuse and neglect, which is, I was a prosecutor that uh, would, prosecute's not exactly the right word, but I did act as the state's lawyer when a parent had been accused of abusing or neglecting their children. Uh, and then from there, I went to a unit called Felony Review. I did Branch 66, which is preliminary hearings and grand jury for murders and rapes. And then I left the office after a year or two in night narcotics. So that was all drug cases. So those were the only things I pressed. Oh, and I had a, uh, a stint in a sex crimes unit. Mm. Mm. I was going to ask, in those immigration case, did you see mostly Hispanics or was it like a mix? Yeah, but no, it was, all, it was 100% Hispanics. <laughs> 100%. Part of that is, 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 I think it's more difficult and I, I could be completely wrong. I think it's more difficult to come back into the country after being deported from other countries. You know, like we, we do have immigration or, or undocumented immigration from places, especially like Poland and Chicago. We have a lot of undocumented Polish who fly over and then they just overstay their visas. So it's harder for them to like, if they are deported for some reason to fly back in, because it's just hard for them to get on a plane. I think it's just easier for um, people to come up through Mexico. Okay. But but mine mine were a hundred percent, and and usually what the, so what would happen the way that they came into federal court would be, the feds ICE would look at everybody who was in jail, like either new or about to be released from prison. And they would look to see if somebody was undocumented. And it wasn't just if they were undocumented. They had to have a pretty bad criminal history because those were the people they went after, which was also sad because the sentences were a lot higher. But so, like, I, I you know, the people I had for illegal reentry, one guy had three attempt murders in his background. Oh, wow. Uh, and that's kind of a lot. I mean, <laughs> one, att <laughs> one attempt murder is, is, you know, okay, we'll give you one, but three is that, that was a lot. And so they, that's who they went after. But if you were just, you know, if you were undocumented and you got a DUI or you got a first offense for something, they, they weren't charging you with the crime. They would still deport you probably, but they weren't going to charge you with a crime. Because I, I would always argue with, for low jail time, because like that guy who had actually come up for a very good reason, he reentered for a very good reason. But you're going to hold him in jail for six years and then deport him. Wow. So, you know, I know before this started, we were talking a little bit about how much it costs to hold someone in jail. At that point, it's like, just send him back. Um, I don't know why he's got to sit for six years and then send him back. But that was it. So those were kind of heartbreaking ones a lot of times. Yeah. Oh, Vicente? So how do you think, uh, you know, your experience as a lawyer, how has that really affected your perspective on the world? Um, that's an interesting one. I, I, I think my perspective on the world, 
I think one of the biggest skills that a lawyer has and one that they teach you in law school, they really kind of hammer it, is the ability to see different sides of an argument. And it helps you, it helps you refine your own sense of, of what argument you want to make or what belief you have or how you're going to approach a case. Um, so just as an example, like if, you know, if I'm defending someone in court, I have to be able to anticipate what the state, what the prosecutor is going to say and how they're going to do it. You know, a little bit like a chess match. You can't just do what you want to do or any, anything, any of the soccer game or football game. You can't just do what you want to do. There's somebody else on the field that, that's going to try and stop you or do it in a different way. So I think one of the things that, that law school and, and my legal career really did was help me to be able to anticipate arguments people were going to make, really look at all the facts and how this could be spun my way, how it could be spun a different way, what kind of inferences I can draw from things. So it doesn't matter what issue comes up. Um, I, I don't usually just kind of on emotion jump at my belief. I really kind of look at it and, and try to figure it out. Um, if that's what you're talking about, if you're talking about my actual perspective on the world, that's a whole, <laughs> I don't think law school has done anything. I, I will say that it's, when you spend time, like I, 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 when you spend time in a system that's basically very dysfunctional, uh, and I'm not just talking about the system itself, but, but the people that are in it, you know, people who are committing crimes, um, you can start getting a little warped, you know, if that's all you see every day, um, right. is a criminal after a criminal or, um, you know, especially I think, and it's just not as bad as me, but like, you know, a police officer every day, they see people at their worst, what they're, you know, they're doing horrible things to other people, or they're in a horrible way with a drug addiction, mental health. Uh, you know, I, I can see how they burn out very quickly on how, what they think of humanity. I don't have quite that on the street look. I mean, most of my clients were really nice people when they were sitting in my office and talking to me. Don't know how they were out on the street, but <laughs> but they were very nice. But you know, you can start to think that everybody's a criminal, everybody's out for a hustle, everybody's trying to trying to do something. So it can make you a little cynical. Hopefully I'm I'm not that cynical, but but it definitely had something. That's interesting. So how would you, you know, define justice to someone then as a, like, you know, as someone who was a lawyer and in that kind of field? How would I define justice? Yeah, like, what what is justice? I Especially, like, with how the state enacts it, because, I don't know, there's a lot of cases going on. People see that on the news, and they're like, how does someone like that get away with it, you know? Is justice blind, basically? Yeah. Uh... So, yeah, I guess this is going to get into my perspective of the world. I don't really think our criminal justice system sets out to, to do justice. There, yeah. there, is, there isn't justice in the criminal justice system. And that's not, that, that's not necessarily because of how it's, how it's set up. Um, I mean, in order to do injustice. But there's a certain amount of... It, it's not really the truth that comes out in a criminal case. It's what the state can prove or what the, def the defense can um, raise reasonable doubt. Okay. So, so 
you know, oftentimes, and, and, you know, you can get to the, what is truth kind of whole thing of like, how do we even prove something as true? It's a lot easier now when we have phones, there's a lot more video, the, the technology for forensic evidence is a lot better, but, um, you know, we still have a lot of, a lot of bad convictions out there and we have people as, as one of you said, kind of getting away with it. So it, it's probably a, a bit of a rambling answer, but I, I think the system that we've set up is, is one of the best, if not the best in the world. But anytime you have a system that's run by people, uh, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna have its flaws. Hmm. So justice isn't blind. You have, you know, you have people like that judge, we were talking about a, another one, a judge in Pennsylvania who was sending kids to a prison that he was in ownership on. You know, you're, you're, you're going to have corrupt people. You're going to have maybe lazy lawyers. You're going to have bad investigation techniques. You're going to have um, people honestly just making poor identifications. Illinois had a big problem uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago with the Illinois crime lab kind of lying or making up evidence to fit cases. We've had junk science where people were convicted for bite marks or something else. There was a huge one about arson investigations that a lot of what we were sure was physical evidence of an arson, like the cracked glass or the poor patterns or whatever, turns out not to be and people were convicted. So anytime you have people involved in something, you're going to have your flaws. Right. Did so that like, answer Sorry. Yeah. But I was going to ask, like, like, how often do you believe, like, an innocent person gets convicted? Well, an innocent person being convicted is probably fairly rare. Um, I mean, we... we Thankfully, we hear about them because they make the news. When someone, I don't know if you followed um, Alice Siebold, who's a writer. She was um, the victim of a sexual assault when she was in college. She testified against a guy. He spent years in jail. He was just released. He didn't do it. Wow. So we, we hear about cases like that, and, and that's great. That shows at some point the system works, although not fast enough, obviously, for that, that gentleman. Um, kind of lost my train of thought on that one. <laughs> it's okay. Sorry, it tends to happen to everybody. Yeah, <laughs> it's like class. You know, I just start talking. And I don't know what I'm right. Oh, how many innocent people? So I, I think it. I think it happens. I think one of the problems we also have is, um, and you may have covered this, is uh, plea bargains kind of force can force people to plead to crimes they didn't do just because it gets them out of prison. You know, if you don't have money to pay a bond to pay a thousand dollars and somebody offers you probation and you get out today, or you got to wait for a year until your trial comes up, people will just take, say they're guilty. Maybe there was a bad search. Maybe the police officer violated their rights. or Maybe they didn't have the drugs. Those I think are, are relative. I don't want to say relatively common, but they're certainly out there. That brings up another question. Do you believe that cash bond should just not exist anymore? 
Um, I, I don't have a problem with getting rid of cash bond, but it, it may have some unintended consequences to the people that are, are pushing for it. And what I mean is, is, you know, let's say you have a guy that, that murders two people, right? I think 99% of the judges, 99% of the people are going to say that guy needs to be held in jail. On the other hand, you have somebody who did graffiti on a CTA bus. Yeah, all right. No, we don't need to put any bail. Just go free. But there are cases in the middle, maybe some robberies um, where, or an armed robbery even. Let's say somebody has a knife and they, and they, they mug somebody. If there's no cash bond, you're, the only choices the judge has is to either keep the person in custody or let them on the street. And I'm, I'm curious to see, because we did just change the law in Illinois for, I think it starts in 2023. Yeah. I, I think more judges are going to say, well, I'm going to hold the person. You know, I think that, that the thought of the reformers was that this would let more people out of jail. But I, I, I'm, I'm just very curious to see what's going to happen to those kind of middle cases where you're asking a judge to let somebody out without any skin in the game, without any you know, money that they might lose if they if they violate their their conditions of bond. So it, it, it's interesting. I mean, I definitely don't think anybody should, especially after what I was just saying about pleading guilty to crimes they didn't do or to, to where the rights have been violated just to get out of jail. I don't think anybody needs to sit in jail just because they can't afford um, a, a reasonable level of bond. I mean, I, I'm not going to lose any sleep that some guy who killed two people can't raise $100,000. But, you know, if you can't pay $500 or $1,000 and you've got to sit, it certainly doesn't help your situation when then you lose whatever job you might have had. You have to leave school. If you have a family, there's the added hardship to them. So I definitely think that this system could could do a little bit better on that. Got it. Mm. I guess um, we kind of want to go back a little bit more, maybe on like your, uh, you know, I guess your law school experience. Just like how much did it cost to, you know, become a lawyer itself, like with law school? Those or, of fees? Well, law school costs, costs a pretty penny. It, uh, <laughs> I mean, I think if I, you know, I went a long time ago, right? So I went from 91 or 90 to 93. And even then, I think it was about 9,500 a semester. Wow. So 18, whatever 18 times three is, I don't really do You went math. to what school again? So I went to John Marshall Law School, which is, is one of the bottom law schools. I, um, I didn't. I didn't pay much attention in undergrad. I had other things. <laughs> I had other things that I was. Yes, focused. we all do. Thank you. We all blame you. I just had some other things I was focusing on, and I did. Fortunately, I did well enough to to get into. I mean, granted, it was like the worst law school, but I got in, so I, I'm still one step ahead of people that didn't get it at all. Uh, it has since merged uh, with, or not merged. It, it became the University of Illinois Chicago Law School. So now I get to I get to brand change from going to John Marshall Law School, the worst, to say I went to UIC Law. If nobody knows it's like one of the worst in the country. But I was happy. You know, I, I'm a big fan of like, you know, hey, you got in, make the best of it. So I finally actually paid attention. 
in law school. As this was, I had worked for two years after, after undergrad, and I decided that I didn't want to keep doing that, that I wanted something that, that was paid a little bit better. So I finally, like, it finally clicked school. I mean, I wasn't good in high school either. So it finally clicked and I, and I actually paid attention. <laughs> and it's really interesting. You know, when you get to a level where all you're taking is stuff that you find interesting, um, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was 18, let's see, 18, 18, I, I still can't do 60,000. Well, less than 60. I'll have to use like some common core stuff and round up. So that was in the nineties. It's yeah. Now the benefit for any of you who are considering law school is now that it's part of the UIC, the tuition went way down uh, mm. because it was a private school at the time. So, so yeah, so it, it was expensive. I mean, it's, you know, as long as you make it through, right? I mean, the worst thing would be to go for a year or two and decide you really don't like it. And now if you've taken out loans and you have twenty or $40,000, that's going to hurt. But if you get through, it's a, it's a pretty decent return on your investment um, on, on how much money you can make as a lawyer or how much you, um, you know, your earning potential over your lifetime will pay off that student loan. Mm. Mr. Eagle? Yes, sir. You mentioned that it was like around $60,000. Um, like, between inflation right now, that would be like around $110,000. Yeah, I don't know. I could, you know, I, mean, I mean, law school is pretty expensive. Let's see. Average law school total. Just totally looking it up for a second. See what my ultra slow. <laughs> He was getting scammed. <laughs> no, they have it. They have it low. It might have come down. It, they have fifty thousand dollars for now, so I think that's crazy. And the Jets have paid his. Oh all wait, 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 never mind. Annual. Sorry, that's the annual cost. Oh wow. So it's, so it's fifty. If you go to like American University, which is in Washington, it's fifty-seven thousand a year. Oh wow. So the average total. The average total cost is two hundred and five thousand dollars. So yeah, it's it's gone up quite a bit. So and I don't know what current. I think I think a, a beginning state's attorney makes around fifty three or fifty four thousand dollars. Is that so, like starting year wage? Starting year, yeah. I mean, state government lawyers don't make a lot of money. Period. So um, that that that's pretty low uh, for a for a starting lawyer. But still, it you know over time it usually pays for itself. It just takes a long time. <laughs> and like, you have to get that out of pocket, or was it like scholarship? Yeah, you can take student loans. There's, I'm sure there are some scholarships. We had a couple of people because I went to like a really poor law school or bad law school. We had some of the some of the really brighter kids. You'd ask them like, what are they doing here? And it was because they got good good scholarship offers to come. Mm. So yeah, just like it's just like regular school, you know. There's the sticker price, and there's hopefully what you pay, and it's a lot less. Right. Yeah. What do you think was the uh, hardest part of being, you know, a law student? Especially, you said it was like a really bad one. How was that exactly? <laughs> well, well, well. What was what was hard to start out? What was hard was that most of the students that were there were were fairly similar to me, and that we had all kind of goofed around in undergrad. So the school actually had some some really tough rules that other law schools don't have. Um, if you were called on in class and you were unprepared, 
you were kicked out of class that day and <laughs> what and, and your grade was lowered by a half <laughs> because i mean they had to make us do something you know what i mean they also graded yeah. they also graded on a on a strict bell curve so for every a the teacher gave he had to give an f so um <laughs> You know, the guy next to me, my first semester, did not make it back at the end of this for second semester. You know, we lost a lot of people. Um, so so one of the hard things was was kind of transitioning to like, oh, you know, crap, I got to pay attention now. Um, also, you know, you start to get to a level um, where as much as I realize it's law, but like you just kind of can't BS your way through an answer. You know, there's a certain amount in undergrad you can just kind of get through um, without doing the work. So law school, that, that was, that was, that started out as the hardest thing, but the hardest thing to me about law school was um, that you get one grade for your class. You take a final, it's a three hour final and that's your grade. So there's no homework grades, there's no midterms, there's no tests or quizzes along the way. It's just, you take a final wow. and you know, it gets easier. Like first year is hard because first of all, you don't really, you're not really thinking like a lawyer too much. And so finals can be very difficult. So it's kind of a bummer when you put in a ton of work and you and it doesn't necessarily show up on the grade. But after you start realizing what they're looking for, uh, it got it got a lot easier and, and, and it was fine. But having your whole grade rest on one essay exam. I mean, there were no multiple choice. It was all essays. So it, it, that could be... That could be good. I remember in my first year in criminal law, finishing the exam a little bit early and thinking how strange it was that there was nothing on there about uh, robbery and theft. So I went back in the test and realized I had missed a question. Wow. And I had to, then then suddenly I had about 15 minutes to, to write an answer on it, so... I did get an A in the class, so I must have written written something. But uh, <laughs> but that was that was that was probably the hardest. That just having everything rest on one exam is pretty 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 challenging. That is. Wow. Yeah, I couldn't imagine because you wouldn't be able to really ch uh, track your progress in the class. Right. I mean, if you didn't know something, I mean, the the nice thing is that there's because the classes are fairly standardized across all of it you know when you take criminal law or criminal procedure or contracts there's pretty much a set curriculum so there's a lot of study guys like i know you guys have probably seen for ap classes the study books or whatever there's a lot of material that you can you can study from it just you know again that first year trying to figure it out where that stuff is is, is pretty difficult but once you kind of get to thinking like a lawyer you know, I, I say to almost all my classes, I probably didn't do it to yours, but that the right answer in one of my classes is always going to be, it depends. It just say, it depends, and then answer both sides of the question. Mm. And you're fine, as long as you can support both sides, so or multiple sides. So that that's once you start realizing that, it's like, okay, they don't really care whether I answer the, the, the question. Yes, this is robbery or no. They just want me to say, well, it depends. It could be robbery and list five reasons why it could be robbery. Or no, it's not a robbery and list three things. So um, it got easier after that. And then it then it became kind of nice. It's like, oh, I don't have tests all the time. I just have this one. So finals week sucked. 
<laughs> no, that two weeks was, was a bear. But I actually treated also, I, I treated law school like a business or like a, like a job rather. So my first semester, I only had classes in the afternoon. So I just got up, went to the library and stayed in the library from nine until noon and did all the homework and then had lunch and then went to class. And so I didn't really, I didn't study at night. I didn't study. And then I would do it on weekends. I would, I would study, but I just treated it like a nine to five kind of job. Right. What do you think would be your craziest or strangest experience while you were at law school? I, you know what? I saw that question. I really didn't have my law school. It was really kind of boring. Wow. Um, well, because one of the things also is that the school that I went to was was kind of a, a commuter school. Like 90, high 90% of the people lived in town. I mean, we're from Chicago. Nobody came from out of state to go to the worst school in the country. So, <laughs> so like, you did, you didn't, like, I had friends at school, but most of the time you would just, on the weekends, hang out with your friends from back home. So it wasn't quite as interesting as college or as rowdy as college. Uh, so I didn't have crazy stuff other than watching a couple kids get kicked out of class. That was, crazy. <laughs> that was, I mean, that's not crazy, but that was, that was, yeah, we really didn't have much. Mm, so undergrad uh, school, just, you know, complete. <laughs> I, yeah, I was, I was, I was done for a while. There were a couple years there where I'm like, I just slow down for a bit. So, I mean, I don't regret my undergrad, but you know, I don't really remember a lot of it. So I had another question about law school. Uh -huh. So how was it taught? Was it taught by like by the books? Was it taught like in debate style? No, they they use what's called the Socratic method. So basically, you had you would read court cases, and that's how you learned. It was actually really frustrating for <laughs> for 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 parts of it because you would you would read a case and find out what you know what the elements of murder were. And was it made or not? Then you'd read another case and have to decide in that case, maybe some element of intent. Did the person intend to kill it? What was the mental state of the person? And it was, you know, a lot of times you're just like, well, you just tell me, just write it on the board. Like, what's the outline? You know, what are, what are, the, what are the, the elements of a crime? Don't make me keep guessing. Which is why some of those books would come in handy. They were outlines and you could get it. Um, so that that was nine, almost every single one of my classes was taught that way. And that's when I said you had to be prepared. What they would do is they would just, you know, you're sitting in class and they'd say, Mr. Lopez, tell me about this case. And you'd have to, at my school, you had to actually stand up because you don't talk to a judge when you're sitting down. So you don't talk in class when you're sitting down. You'd have to stand up and you would have to go through what the facts of the case were, what was the issue, what was the ruling or the holding? What was the, the reasoning for it? It's called briefing a case. And you had to, and then he would ask you questions and then you'd ask someone else questions. And through all this questioning, we were supposed to get to the answer of, of what he wanted. I thought it was a lot of time to just, could have been saved if they told us the answer, but I really, I think that's part of the process of turning in into thinking like a lawyer like that's kind of one of the skills they have is that you're supposed to be able to look at a fact pattern that a client comes to you and spot what the issues are, what the law can be applied, how would you or how would you not apply it? So that that that's how it's done. But that's that's every class I took except for the legal writing classes were were that way.
Okay. Hello, can you hear us? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm in. Oh, sorry, your, your audio kind of cut out like intensely oh, right there. Sorry. Mm. I guess going back to your career then, um, what was the most memorable case you could tell us about? Good or bad? Good yeah. or bad? Um, why not both? both? <laughs> yeah, why not yeah, both? both. <laughs> yeah, good or bad? Um, so, yeah, um, well, there was one, it, it made it into the papers for briefly. There, there was a, um, yeah, I don't. Uh, I know those are those are the interesting ones. I don't. I don't really think I can tell you too many other memorable cases without without compromising their trust. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not. It's not. You know, anything that happened would have been public record, so it's not exactly um, attorney-client. But I. I um, I had some interesting cases. A lot of them were a lot of a lot of the ones in federal court were uh, big gang drug conspiracy cases. Those were those were kind of interesting to work on. So what would happen is the 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 DEA or the FBI would roll up and they would arrest say forty uh, gangster disciples. Right at the time, they still kind of had the housing projects, and so they would they would take down two or three buildings worth. And because the public defender or the, the federal defender can only represent one of them, they would contract out with other attorneys to, to handle the other 39 or however many of them were. So I would get called on a, on a bunch of those. And they were, they were kind of fun just to see how large-scale drug conspiracies worked. Um, if you've ever watched The Wire, it was kind of like being the lawyer for those guys in The, in the Wire. So those were, those were pretty interesting ones. I know I had some Four Corner Hustlers, some oh. Ambroses, Gangster Disciples. Th those were interesting cases in the, in the federal system. I had a bank robber in the federal system who robbed five, who, who had five bank robberies, well, but, only th but only three banks. He literally robbed two of the banks twice. <laughs> and he was he was caught because he walked up to the teller at one of them and the guy said oh not you again and um had hit the police he had literally walked by his wanted poster on the way in. oh wow. oh no uh, yeah he had some situation going on he really just wanted to get caught he 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 he, he was desperate to get out of a family situation and really wanted to go to jail did he <laughs> pick that, up people he did. He got. A, he got a. He actually got a really nice because I was able to con to to show the judge that. I mean, this was a middle aged guy. He was like my age. He had he had recently been fired from uh, or laid off of his job as a vice president in a bank. He was close to losing his his house and his wife, and he he was just desperate, and he he needed. He just kind of had a really bad midlife crisis, and the judge was aware of it. So he did go to jail, but for not. Not anywhere that five bank robberies should get you. Um, so he was he was an interesting one. I'm trying to think. Yeah, there 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 were some strange sex cases. Those are probably the weirder ones. Uh, the murders were all pretty generic gang murders. So no, nothing nothing particularly memorable out there that I can <laughs> that really bank that was I can, very memorable. That I can, 
the bank robbery. The bank yeah. robbery. I, I love. I don't know why. I really like the bank robbery. <laughs> I had a, I had a bunch of them, and they were all. I don't know. And then I, you know, there were some memorable. There were some nice white collar crime ones. You get to see how fraud works. Um, somebody was was. In fact, it was really funny because it turns out it was like an alley near my house, like a block away. They were, <laughs> they were renting cars. And then crashing the cars, oh, and wow. they had a, they had a whole system set up where they had fake doctors, fake therapists, and they were running up bills. They had a lawyer who was in on it, who would then sue and settle and get insurance company money. It was really kind of fascinating. I mean, some of those ones are at a computer way back when when piracy was something they were going after. I had one of the original scene people. I mean, I, it was it was pretty interesting, pretty interesting. It's um, a good job. You, back to the to the bank robbery. You said how he was having like a mid mid midlife crisis, right? Yeah. Um, that brings me that brings up another question I wanted to ask. It's like, how does one get away with like stealing because they need something like food or or clothes stuff like that? Is it like common to get away with those crimes because you need those type of items to survive? So when I was a state's attorney, one of the one of the jobs is called felony review, where when the police want to charge somebody with a felony, they have to get kind of approval from the state's attorney's office. So they would call up and we would go out, we would interview the witnesses, we'd look at the police reports, we'd talk to the defendant if he was willing to talk, he or she, and we would decide whether we we're going to approve or reject charges. So at the time, we were basically told when it comes to retail theft, shoplifting, stealing, right, that if they were stealing diapers, baby formula, um, we weren't to charge it, right, because they were mostly probably because it was going to look bad to go to court with some young person who's stealing baby formula to feed their kid. Now, most of the time, they were actually stealing it to sell it. Or uh, Rogaine is a huge thing, apparently, that people were stealing. Um, and now, like Kim Fox, the, the current state's attorney, she is not charging. They have to steal $1,000 worth of property, which is way above what the law says. I think it was $1,200, actually. Is sure. it up to $1,200? All right. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of one of the ways that you can get away with stealing when you need it. You know, uh, yeah. assuming you need it, you're not just going in to get a... Canada goose coat or whatever, or some <laughs> of these, some of these flash mobs. Although you know, I'm sure they're still selling it for for money. Um, I think that answers the question. Yeah, it does. And another question is like, can you describe how the courtroom, what the courtroom is like? What are the roles in the courtroom? Uh, oh, for that you should have talked to my wife. Um, <laughs> What are the rules in a courtroom? Well, it 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 depends on who the judge is. Roles. Uh, some of the oh roles. I'm sorry, roles. All right. Well, so you have the judge, right? The judge is the trier of fact. So the judge is gonna is gonna at at that is gonna decide guilt or innocent or guilt or not guilty. We don't have innocence in court, uh, and then they'll sentence the person if it's warranted. So those are, those are some of the big things that judges do that are important because that's where the judge's discretion comes in. The judge can choose what kind of sentence to give the person within the law. The judge can choose, again, within the facts and the law, whether they're found guilty or not. 
the judge also hears pretrial motions. So if you wanted to suppress evidence or suppress a statement or dismiss the case, they would hear things like that. You have the prosecutor in Cook County. We call them state's attorneys. A lot of places are called district attorneys, the DA. We have state's attorneys and they represent the people of the state of Illinois and their job is um, well, I guess their job isn't to convict people, They're, but but their role is to uh, try to prove the person guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. The defense attorney is trying to stop that from happening. Most of the cases, probably over 90% of cases, are settled um, through plea bargains. And the usual plea bargain is between the state's attorney and the public defender or the Did defense attorney. you say 90%? Attorney. Yeah, it's a real high number. Wow, that's real actually high very high, higher than I thought. I, I'm 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 pretty sure it's it's up in the 90s. Um, wow. Very few actually go to trial in comparison. A lot get dropped. So I'm kind of talking about the number of cases that that aren't aren't dropped for a reason. But and you can double check that and see see. I'd be happy to know what the what the actual number is. I'm just saying from my experience when I was an attorney, maybe it's just 90% of my cases were were settled by plea. But those are ones that 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 worked out, and hopefully you get a bargain that they charger they they give a reduced sentence they give a reduced charge so instead of you know first degree murder they they agree to you know uh, negligent homicide or something or armed robbery they just charge a theft and so those are the three main roles then you still have you know you have a court clerk who takes down everything that people say in court so that we can have a record of what was said the court clerk who manages all of the files the sheriffs who are in charge of the safety of everybody in the court and uh, the prisoners. Who else do you have? Probation officers who will report. Usually they report back to the judge about how people are doing on their probation. And that's about the main people. The jury? The jury. Well, the jury, right. So if you talk about then the number of cases that go to trial, even less of them go to jury trial. Oh. So... Yeah, jury trials, you know, there's, 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 like, if you, if you talk to your teacher, Kevin, she probably does a lot of jury trials because of the nature of the cases that she has. But most cases don't go to jury. But the jury's in there, and that's going to be 12 citizens picked through a process called voir dire um, to make sure that they can be fair and impartial. And then they're the trier of fact. Then they decide whether the person's guilty or innocent. The judge would still, or not guilty. The judge would still sentence the person, but uh, in we call that a bench trial. When the judge hears the case and makes a determination of guilt, that's a bench trial. And otherwise, there's a jury trial. Mm -hmm. And that's all the people in the courtroom, I think. You know, I often hear a lot about a. Uh... The public attorney, or at least the state attorney, I think uh, Kim Fox, uh, when yeah. people like to blame, you know, Chicago's crime rates and why a lot of criminals get out of, uh, you know, back onto the street again. Uh, could you explain that? Like, um, really what... Why people are against yeah, Kim Fox? Yeah, why they scapegoat her, I guess, or that general idea, you know? You well, bother too much. I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I, 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 would, I would quibble a little bit with, with uh, referring to her as a scapegoat. And only in, mm -hmm. in this sense, she is the state's attorney, you know, in a sense of the buck stops here, she runs that office and she sets the policy for that office. So, I, you know, 
I certainly understand how you mean it as she's a scapegoat, as in she takes maybe too much of the blame for the for the for what's happening in it. But it kind of goes with the territory of being the state's attorney, I, yeah. I think. But so here's why. So Kim Fox, and I, I don't think it's I don't think it's my opinion. I think she would say it. Kim Fox is is a is one of the new breed of uh, prosecutors. There's one Krasner in Philadelphia, uh, Chesa Bowden in San Francisco, and Kim Fox, who uh, are are pushing what was traditionally kind of a conservative job, a law and order job. And they're turning it more into a way to achieve some social justice. So rather than kind of some of her predecessors of lock everybody up, we're going to really war on, on drugs and oh, you're stealing those three. And there's, there's another one I'm forgetting, but, but Kim Fox's theory when she came into office was that we're over prosecuting people. And that actually is leading to more crime that when we tag people with felony convictions, uh, we're then going to be denying them housing. Landlords won't necessarily rent to you. They won't get jobs, depending if they're young. I think if you get a drug conviction, you don't get thefts anymore. You know, so, so some of this thing is if we can stop people from, from, from coming into the system or having the system chew them up, in the long run, it will be better. So she had things like the um, she was one of the leaders in bond reform. We need to let more people out. Uh, you know, so anytime one of the people that's been let out commits another crime, the anti-Kim Fox people, you know, raise a hubaloo that this person committed another crime because she was soft on crime um, in a job that traditionally was hard on crime. I guess that's where the, the real juxtaposition comes in. And then, you know, she raised the she has the discretion as the state's attorney what to charge. And she's decided that she's not going to charge retail theft over a certain amount. So when people are, are running around Michigan Avenue, breaking into stores or doing whatever, she's getting more of the blame for it. So I think that's why people are, are, are against her um, in the news or the people that you hear who are against her using her. I guess I'll use your term as a scapegoat for, for, for why the crime is without looking at what other agencies, the courts, police, schools, employment, uh, or any of those other things might, might be affecting it as well. I think sometimes just being the leader, being the visible face of it, you get, you get hit with it. All right. And there could, I mean, and there, Certainly could be some element, you know, I don't know all the people that that don't like her, but, you know, she is an African-American woman in what has, except for Anita Alvarez, pretty much been a, you know, white man's job for a while. So there could be a lot of people that, that are upset about that. Got it. Vicente? Sorry, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> Or we'll just move on with the other question. <laughs> it's, it's just like class. <laughs> yes. We said they had a lot on his plate right now. Not a problem. Not a problem. So <laughs> when you were working as a public defendant or a uh, or a private lawyer or a uh, prosecutor, 
how how much uh, how much paperwork would you say was involved? Well, that, see, so that's the difference when you're doing like low end stuff. Like if you're doing a DUI, there's very little paperwork. There's an arrest report. There's maybe a video of of the the test you did, and so there's there's nothing. You know, even when I was a prosecutor in night narcotics, there's two pieces. There's three pieces of paper. There was like the arrest report, a supplementary report, and the lab report. So, you know, you got to a point because you were doing stuff every day that you would just kind of stand up there, grab the police report and do a trial. It, it took you nothing. Like, so there was no. Now, when you get to the feds, um, and then obviously there's a lot more if you're doing a higher end, if you're doing um, a murder, you know, there's a lot more witness statements, maybe there's a lot. But so there, there can be some paperwork. It's not nearly the same as if you're doing civil law. If you're doing some medical malpractice case, the paperwork is massive. In the feds, the paperwork is massive because they do an investigation. The vast majority of Cook County drug cases are some cops seeing what he thinks to be a drug, tr drug transaction and arresting the people pulling over a car, searching it, finding drugs. It's, it's kind of a one-off kind of thing. The feds build a case. They'll, they'll, they'll wiretap for a month. There, I've, had, I've had cases where I had more than a month of wiretaps. I had uh, a plane in the sky video surveillance. Yeah. There, there were four or five undercover buys. Like then I'm getting boxes at the time before they went digital boxes and bo bankers boxes full of police reports um once it went digital it's still i would get I, you know 30 discs full discs with with all, police reports i mean those were great cases for me because you know there's they arrest 40 people and so i got to read all of the reports for all of the people they arrested and in when you get court appointed by the feds you bill hourly to the feds so I would just sit there and read police reports all day and, you know, I'd bail for a day or to listen to all the wiretaps. I remember one Thanksgiving driving to my in-laws in Ohio and my whole family was treated to a, a disc for six hours. <laughs> my guy's wiretaps. We just listened in the car. So I got to bill for six hours for listening to wiretaps and my kids, they would sit, my kids could pick, could pick it out. I remember my wife came home from court she was out my two older kids my sons were were they were really young so they were like sitting on my lap and we were watching a drug deal on a video that they had sent me and they were pointing it out to my wife look watch the guy on the bike he's gonna come by <laughs> and i was just billing so but so so those cases there can be a lot but usually in criminal you know unless you're talking about something like kyle rittenhouse or, or if you're talking about oj simpson there's really not that much paperwork mm. Right. So compared to, let's say, your wife, does she get more paperwork, or do you, or did my you... wife has a right now as a judge, she has a ton of paperwork. Mm -hmm. um, she gets a lot of motions. You know, every time somebody, you know, I think she has probably three or four hundred cases in front of her total. Wow. And I, a lot of those cases, somebody files a motion to suppress a statement. Someone's filing a motion to uh, uh, quash the arrest and suppress evidence. Then you've got people that's called post convictions. Those are the worst ones. And then she has to she reads sentencing documents. She's got a lot of paperwork. Wow.
Is that the one yeah. thing you don't miss uh, from being a lawyer? <laughs> I, you know what? I probably have more paperwork now. Oh, <laughs> oh I grading. do. Between grading, between having to come, you know, having to turn in lesson plans every every two weeks, and uh, I, I probably have more more paperwork. The days when you could just kind of get up in court and just start, you know, winging it from a police report when I was a prosecutor <laughs> are long gone. <laughs> well, you should so, do that in class, like do like a mock trial or something. We did. We, oh, yeah. We, we did the first. Yeah, you're here. Yeah. We did yeah. trial with the eighth period class. Was I there? No. Oh, okay. no. eighth period. Man. But, uh, some, some, we, we pulled some people out of. It was me band. and Damien, I think. You guys were there, right? Yeah, you were there. I have you in the picture. Yeah. And yeah. Were you guys Kanye's, like trying? Yeah, because it was you were one of the ones. You and Tom. Yeah. Like we pulled out a band or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> you had some class that we got we got permission to, to have you out of. Yeah, it was from Ben. I remember yeah. that. What was the case? Uh, uh, good question. I can't. Were you guys? Was it? They only used like one or two cases, so it was either the I think it was the bullying at school. No, it was uh, it's something the, about a uh, um... the party, the 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 wrestler with the party at at in his basement. <laughs> No, it's about somebody who went bar hopping, and I think yes, there's a fight yes, going on. Yes, yes, the guy moved the moved the bus while they were while while this girl was standing, and she fell over and hurt. Her. Yeah, there you go. There. Wow. We go. Yeah, it was good. Unfortunately, we in fact we we won, and we were supposed to go on to the finals, and then you know, the world ended, and so we didn't. Uh, True. We didn't. We didn't get to finish it. Dang. They didn't have it at all last year, so I don't know what what they're doing. Are you planning to have it like this year, or? I'd like to. So I, I, I think that's what we might do at least at the end of the year anyway in the criminal justice class. Once, um, you know, their semester ends in the beginning of May, and then so we still have three, four, five weeks. You might just do a mock trial anyway in the class. We'll see. Those are usually the fun ones, and we're doing a we're doing an appellate moot court, a Supreme Court argument in AP government. So that one I know. Damn, that's a shame. I really missed out on the uh, what was the one? The mock election that we were doing. Uh, I think <laughs> what was it senior year. Senior. Yeah. Hey, yeah. we don't talk about that. Yeah, right? I don't think that we got one going on now. That's hot and heavy. I should I should show you the website for it. It's pretty. They're, they're starting to get into it. Nice. And they got a whole website. Hopefully, yeah. Unless, of course, you know, they go back virtual. Didn't we develop, uh, what are those called? Um, those commercials, the uh, the smear campaigns against each other at one point. <laughs> <Yeah>. Political. <laughs> it was a lot of backstabbing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're following in your footsteps. They already had the first scandal of uh, <laughs> that, that made it to the networks. Oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> It's all good. No, <laughs> we should never become politics politicians. politicians. You guys would be, you'd be great at it. No, oh, I'd make a, an amazing politician. Um, I have to go to law school for that, though. Um, as all no. politicians go for. You don't Not, have you don't. to. In fact, you could, that could be your niche. Wow. Especially if you have the if you have the business background, the accounting background, you can like we're going to fix the, you know, the the economy. I'll yeah, show you how. Exactly. If Trump could do it, why can't I? Exactly. He did. He wasn't a lawyer. Yeah, he doesn't have any real skill. 
<laughs> he was a car salesman, if anything. That's me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Every time they just get to the hypothetical and curiosity questions. Yes, these are questions that, uh, well, most of the questions that we had are, um, you know, accumulated from uh, the audience or just random oh, people the audience. who wanted to put in. Yes, yes, the audience. Right. Yeah, we asked on social media like question they want to ask. Oh, the first wow, question is, right. why is urinating in public a sex offense, and how do you appeal this offense? Um, you know, if it's unjust in the sense that oh, I'm leaking behind someone's garage because I'm at work or something like that. Um, I didn't know it was. It, it, it's. I did not know it was considered a sex crime. As, as opposed to just a disorderly conduct crime. I would assume um, it would have to do with the display of genitalia as being um, it. Right. That's not the word of the, the stranger one for a sex crime is, so there's a crime called unlawful restraint. It's kind of a, a lower kidnapping. You just kind of hold somebody against their will. That's right? a sex crime? No. If, if, no, 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 no. Wait a so if the victim is below a certain age, it can be considered that. So there's this guy out of the Skokie courthouse who was who was driving home, just driving, and like a, a kid, a girl, I don't remember how old she was, but like say between 11 and, and well, 11 or 12. She was a, a, a tween, like kind of darts out on the brake, almost misses her. He gets out of the car, he's mad, and he just grabs her arm and says, like, you know, you gotta be careful, don't ever do that again, you could have been killed, blah, blah, blah. That guy was charged with unlawful restraint because he held her against her will, and yeah, he has to register as a sex offender. What? Yeah. That's crazy. I will see if you can find that story and send it to you. But uh, Can you appeal something like that? Yeah, and he did, and it was a tough. That's what the law says. Sorry, it sucks to be you. <laughs> you can't appeal. No, like he, like one of the questions you had of appeals, like this is where it also gets to be some of the some of the um, maybe injustice or injustice in the system, right? If 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 I were to be caught, I go to a Cub game. I'm walking down the street afterwards. I I go to the bathroom in an alley, and I get arrested. Um, you know, an appeal costs a lot of money. I'm gonna have to hire an attorney, and I gotta see if whether it's worth it to hire an attorney. Now, if they actually made me register as a sex offender, hell yeah, it is. But so a lot of like low-level offenses, you're not gonna appeal, even mm. if it's unjust, because you can't, you don't have the money for it. Um, and that gets back to what we were saying with plea bargains. Like if you don't have the money to pay for an attorney. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, people like OJ or whatever, they, they can buy their way to a different level of justice that, that many can't. The mm -hmm. people that get the, the public defender, that's fine. You know, it's the people that really kind of get screwed are more the working poor and, and the, the lower middle class because they won't qualify for a public defender. They won't attorney, but they really don't have the money to hire an attorney. And, and they can get they can get really shafted. So that's why, you know, when you say, how would you appeal it or something? Like, you know, you, you, you can appeal for any a number of different reasons. You, you probably can't appeal that case just because you don't like the law. But you'd have to find some reason that you were uh, unfairly convicted or one of your rights was violated. 
uh, it would be very hard to appeal that. Right. <laughs> wow. Well, that's a shame for me. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, another question is, can I shoot someone who punched me and claim self-defense? You cannot. Oh, wow. I told you. Can, in order to use self-defense, deadly force in self-defense, at least your, your general one, right? This is this. This could be a whole three-day lecture. Mm -hmm. um, you can only use deadly force when you are threatened with deadly force. So your 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 general, I was punched. No, uh, it's possible you could make some argument if some MMA guy is beating on you, and you know, or somebody who's six foot tall, three hundred and twenty pounds is beating on you, and you're a little guy. But usually, no, that's not gonna that's not gonna work. So right. what about this? Let's say that guy that's beating on you says, "I'm gonna come back and grab a bat and kill you." What about then? Can you claim self-defense? You cannot because he does not at the time. You have to be threatened with the force at the time. Mm. So mm. if he says he's coming back, you have time to leave the area. You have time to call the police. You have you you you're not you don't have to shoot him for your self-defense. Right. Now, if he comes back <laughs> and he has it, uh, then you're being uh, deadly force is being used. And then you get into various things, stand your ground or the castle defense, um, various things about what level of force you can use in the duty of retreat that, that gets way more complicated than that. Do we have the stand your ground law in Illinois? No, we have. I believe we have the castle doctrine. Though. So Where you got to retreat. You're, you're safe in your house, basically. If somebody comes into your house, you can do it. But if you're, like, in a... You can't just shoot someone. Mm. Got it. But um, again, in, after you're done, if, you know, if, if an angry homeowner comes out, Rock, because you were peeing on their lawn, <laughs> and, and, and you cannot compound by shooting. You know me too well, Mr. Eagle. Well, <laughs> I make mean, sure. I'm not allowed. I'm usually retired, so that's not legal advice. Just, just... <laughs> so, is mutual combatant illegal? Like where two people agree to fight? If you have a, if you have mutual combat, a bar fight, most of the time it won't even get charged. The only times really mutual combat gets charged. Um, oh, it's a covering kind of thing. But if two people are at a bar or each other and they start punching each other, you know, you're you're well, a gun. So bad. But uh, so what happens if? Oh, my bad. No, you you weren't done. No, I was Sorry. done. I was done. Oh, <laughs> oh. I was gonna ask, like, let's say you and him are going at it, you both fighting, and then. You hit him so hard, his head hits the concrete and he dies. Like, as long as it was can't claim combat, you're you're good to go. Even if you accidentally or, kill him, let me say. Sometimes you're not. Also, I know that that sounds like a really wishy-washy answer. You can almost always where someone was not. Um, in those things, so sometimes the the when I said like our system, and people are involved, it's a lot of times it depends. That person complaining a lot, 
is a the, the aggressor someone no. that has a there's there's there are um there's about nine factors to look at the age of the person is this a, is this a teenager is this a 20 year old in college or is this a 50 year old who's beating on someone so there's a lot of things to look at to, to decide whether you're and, and there's a lot of things about whether you're going to win. win. There was a famous game in Chicago. Um, originally, it did not get charged on the base, and it was just that. It was it was downtown, um, like bar time kind of thing, and this one guy tried to take a swing at the other one. The other one hit the guy, and he, and he exactly fell, hit his head and died. And they did not charge the uh, guy that killed the other one obviously they don't charge the dead guy they didn't charge him and it was a big stink because this was a nephew or a cousin of mayor daly uh the second mayor daly richard m and uh so there was all sorts of claims that 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 that's why he wasn't charged other people were saying it was mutual combat and eventually years and years later they wound up charging the kid and he and he wound up taking a plea for something something low so it is possible that you get charged most of the time that also probably both both got charged and didn't get charged because of the relationship to mayor daly but most of the time i, I don't think i've ever had a case where it was mutual combat true mutual combat got it interesting Sente. Yes. You should. You should ask this question right here. Oh, so this is another, uh, it's more of a curiosity question. Uh, how far does attorney-client privileges extend to? Um, even if the attorney knows the client is guilty but is likely not going to get charged, do they simply let that go? What are the moral implications to someone who lets it go by? So um, attorney-client privilege is pretty sacrosanct. It's it's pretty serious. If you know somebody's guilty, that's, you know, okay. Um, you can't share that with anybody. The only I'm sorry, Mr. Oh. Eagle, you cut off. Uh, he, he left. Oh. <laughs> He's like, I can't, I can't answer this. <laughs> said, hey, what did you do? You can't answer this. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The FBI just actually just... Vicente just has no. knocking. Homeland <laughs> <laughs> Security! I just ate a whole uh, bowl of zucchini throughout the whole uh, conversation. <laughs> zucchini? Yeah. Richard, find out what happened. <laughs> I sent him the link again, just in case. I'm just watching the football game, to be honest. <laughs> wow, Richard. Yeah, okay, I'm, 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 I'm excited what he has to say. <laughs> it must have been good. After the FBI releases him, bro. Sandy's <laughs> being held hostage right now. That's why he's eating zucchini. Exactly. I would never eat zucchini unless I was on substances. All right. You know what? I just had the absolute best answer to a question I've ever given. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think I, I closed the window by accident. What? <laughs> we thought. We know. I already got. We thought Homeland Security got to you. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 so what was what? Where did where did where did I I drop off? Did I uh, answer any of the questions? No, I don't think so. No. All right. So, well, how does it how does it so for attorney client privilege? I had said that um, 
it's it's pretty sacrosanct. It's it's pretty pretty serious. The only time you can really break uh, attorney-client privileges is, is if the client is about to go commit a new crime. Right. Mm -hmm. So if they tell you that they killed somebody, can't do anything about that. Can't tell anybody. Can't do anything. If they say, "I'm and now I'm going to go out and I'm going to kill this other person," yeah, now I can stop by by reporting it. Um, and then there's some with if you get charged with malpractice, if they if they say you did something, you can defend yourself. But that's pretty much the only time you can you can violate attorney-client privilege. So how does a criminal defense attorney justify? defending someone that they know is guilty of a crime or they think is somebody uh, is somebody guilty of a crime constitutional right constitution right that's exactly there is is you're not really defending that person so much as you're defending our system the 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 rights that are given to him under the or him or her under the constitution uh the the statutory laws that 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 we've granted the people uh, and the case law of how it's interpreted, the, the, the laws. So you're just making sure that the state meets its burden beyond a reasonable doubt, that, you know, his right to a trial, speedy trial, unreasonable free, unreasonable searches and seizures, excess, cruel and unusual punishment, excessive fine, all, all those ones that are in the Constitution. That, that's, that's probably the main answer that a criminal defense attorney will give you. The second answer that they may give you is it would be based on the injustice um, in our society, that you're defending somebody who society, for one reason or another, has has put at a big disadvantage. Maybe they're poor. Maybe they're uneducated. Uh, maybe they've been the victim of discrimination in in one form or the other. And so that's how I'm fighting for this guy. Right? He may have done something bad, uh, or may have been something that that's horrible, but you know, it's not necessarily their fault, given the, the conditions that, that we forced upon them. Uh, the third way would be, okay, he did something bad. It might not be because of, of, of any benefits, but are we really making our country any better by just locking this person up in jail? Maybe we could try to fix the person. We could rehabilitate them, fix their drug problem, uh, work on their mental health, uh, and find some way, job training, find some way to, to help someone. So I, for most defense attorneys, I think it's a combination of all of those. Um, then you have some people that just do it for the money. I mean, mm -hmm. plain and simple, because somebody's okay. going to pay me. So that's 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 about it. And uh, morally, you know, again, it's um, the fact that you defend someone who's guilty doesn't mean you support them. If that makes sense. I mean, I've, I've I've represented people that have killed other people. I've represented people that have sexually assaulted their children, and wow. it doesn't mean because I've represented them that I think what they did is okay in any way. Um, you know, I, I I did it because we have a system in place, and those people are are entitled to representation, and I and I would do it. I mean, I will tell you that the, you know, yeah, that that's about it. So that's I good. think that's the end. That's fair, but um, I guess kind of going into like you know punishment and everything. What would you say is a better alternative to jail? Um, because I, I think you kind of explained it a little bit from Kim Fox's perspective about how uh, just sending people to jail, you know, just continues more crime. What would you say is like a better alternative to that? Well, the, one of the issues I think that Kim Fox has, and it's it's not her issue, is that if you're going to reform the criminal justice system, it can't just be one 
stakeholder. It can't just be the state's attorney saying, I'm not going to charge people who are stealing, right? Because, okay, so you let the person out of jail, you don't charge them. You haven't changed any of the person's conditions that led them to commit the crime, right? They're still probably uneducated. They may be using drugs. They may have mental illness. You haven't fixed anybody. So as an alternative to jail, we would need to create a very big social service network to make sure. So instead of sending somebody to jail, you know, maybe they were sentenced somewhere where there was job treatment, mental health treatment, and um, drug treatment. You know, jail just they have those things, but they're they're fairly worthless. So you know, you need to kind of remake society big parts of society if you if you want to get it. So, you know, I think there's there's a couple reasons why we punish people, you know, flat out punishment. Uh, one of them is incapacitation, right? So if you have a very dangerous person, if you have somebody that's out in the streets shooting people, I, I think we probably should lock them up until we can address their, their dysfunction because they're killing people. They're out there shooting. They're making it unsafe for everybody else. So that's, that's one of the reasons. Then we have deterrence, where we try to stop people from committing crimes. Specific deterrence is we're going to stop that person. And general deterrence is, you know, we're sending a message to everybody. So don't do what Kevin did, because you know, look what happened. Never do what I do. So, and some of that, like, you know, in our war on drugs, the deterrence effect really hasn't worked. You know, we, we you know, even those cases I was talking about with the feds, you know, okay, you wrap up, you know, 40 GDs, there were people back on those corners or in front of those buildings within a day or two. Um, you know, it, it doesn't solve it. So, you know, I think, I think if we're going to reform the system, you take the truly violent people and you, and you lock them up and the, the people that are committing crimes more out of economic need or um, social disorganization in their neighborhoods or, or whatever, I, I, I think I think we need to, to, to put more of our efforts into that. And so I'm, I'm more of a proponent of, of out-of-custody programs that have to justify, though, their, their funding. You're not just going to have a program where someone goes to job training. Like, we, we've got to find jobs. We've got to train people to do the new kind of jobs. We don't have manufacturing jobs anymore, so we need to work on it. We need to stop people in the first place from committing crimes. We have to have more serious education opportunities. Um, so it's, it's, a huge, it's a huge endeavor, and I don't think there's an easy answer. Yeah, got it. Right. Yeah, that's a lot of information. I guess, uh, <laughs> I guess, kind of going more into that um, on the lawyer side of things, uh, you think some lawyers treat a law like a game in certain ways, where they have to win every case? How how does that work? I think I think you have some competitive people. I mean, I think when you say mm -hmm. you know, do lawyers treat it as a you know, there's there's thousands of lawyers, so you're gonna have uh, th there are plenty that that. In my career on both sides, as a defense and a state's attorney, there are plenty that were true believers and would, would fight everything, um, and they wanted to win every case for their client. Um, there were some, unfortunately, that also just wanted their money, 
And as soon as they were paid, they ditched the case however they could. Um, so it's, I, I don't think I can really answer that question. I mean, I know for me, it was never a game. Um, it was always about the client and, and making sure that I did the best I could for that client. Um, mm -hmm. I think you get, you get into problems if you, if you care. I mean, that, that, first of all, I think that's the job of the lawyer. That client hired me. So I'm going to do everything I can to get the best result for that client. Um, so that's the only way I can answer it. I guess in yeah. that same motion, how does, uh, how's the work environment for a lawyer actually like day to day? Well, I'm very glad I'm not one anymore. Um, <laughs> if you're talking, again, I can only talk about criminal and, and it, it, if you're a public defender, it can be very, very tough. Um, your day to day, because you know, you're, you're dealing with a lot of dysfunctional. I know I've used this word like four times, but you're, de you're dealing with a lot of dysfunctional people. You're dealing with people that have drug addictions, who have a lot of mental health issues. Um, people who, um, maybe have different social skills than the lawyer is used to. Uh, they get yelled at a lot by clients. They get spit on by clients. There's been a problem with clients uh, exposing themselves and lock up to them. I mean, it, it's really hard. And usually they're, they're fairly overworked. They have a lot of cases. So the work environment for a PD is pretty tough. If you're a private attorney, it's not as bad because somebody's paying you. And if they're paying you, they're probably not going to mistreat you very badly. Um, so, you know, and you're probably hiring a, I don't want to say a better class of criminal, but you're, you're, they have some skin in the game, right? Usually if, if the public defender, they haven't paid for the public defender, so they don't really care too much. They've taken time, they've hired you, it'll be better. Um, I will say one of the things that, that I have found, and maybe some of your other guests will, will find different, I have found that the relationship between the, the prosecutor and the defense attorney is much better in, in criminal law than it is in civil law. Um, you know, people always thought that PDs and, and, and prosecutors uh, hated each other because that's what it always is on TV. They're always fighting. They're always doing whatever. Usually we get along great. Um, you know, we're always in the same Usually you're assigned to the same courtroom. So we're all in the same courtroom all day long. We're usually all friends. Obviously I married one. I was a PD. I was a, a state's attorney. My wife was a PD. So I might be, I might be biased on that. But when you get into civil law and you're, and you got millions of dollars on at stake, you know, if it's a, if it's a med, medical malpractice case or whatever, those people fight like constant and you don't see the same ones. You might have, you may never have another case with that lawyer again. So you can go ahead and be a jerk or you can be a little <laughs> shady. Um, whereas, you know, if I, if I screw over somebody and then 10 minutes later, they call the next case, you know, I'm screwed. So we were, we got along really well. So as far as being a defense attorney, I, it was fine. You know, it, it just got a little, it's very hard uh, it, for me. It was very hard to do more than the, the, 13 years or whatever it was that I was a defense attorney. It just, it just, it can be very, um, there's just a steady stream of clients. And so it, it, it got a little, um, 
it got a little old. Mm. You know, you're, you're constantly trying to help people through their problems, which is great, but there was just always another guy with another problem right behind him. And it didn't really feel a lot like the system was making it better for anybody. My clients weren't better off. Society wasn't better off. It, it, it just got old doing that. Right. I have, that brings me, that just brings another question. Um, I should have asked this earlier, but have you ever had a case where your client just wasn't able to be in court because like they weren't mentally competent to be in court? I didn't, but again, if they're mentally incompetent, they're probably not coming up with the money to hire an attorney. And, or even if, even if the family of somebody had come to me and wanted to hire me, it would have required so much money from them, not just to hire me, but because then I would have had to have psychiatrists do evaluations on them. So that's also getting back to why like the public defender has such a hard time is they get all those clients. All the mental, the really hardcore mentally ill people are, are, are almost always going to be public defender clients. And then, because one, they, they probably didn't have jobs, they don't have money. And two, they're actually better off because then the government will pay for the psychiatrist to evaluate them. Got it. Right. I guess, um, you know, I, I've always been a fan of this uh, this one show, uh, Better Call Saul, because of how grimy, <laughs> it, you know, it shows. I know uh -huh. it's all fiction, but it's really funny to watch, uh, you know, Saul Goodman making a mockery of the law system. Uh, how, what would you say is like the best media, like movie or TV show that kind of represents what uh what it's like to be a lawyer or that I kind of thing? Vinny. We just watched that. That's what we. That's what we did the two days before Christmas break. Oh. we we watched my cousin Vinny. Oh, you did. <laughs> we we did. As a matter of fact, um, I'll tell you the best the best criminal justice show ever made is The Wire. The uh, Wire. It's on HBO. That 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 is absolutely without a doubt the best the best show of what it's actually like um they're all drug dealers mostly but the in the drug dealing and their interactions with the police there is there is a lawyer um who's a pretty good representation of a defense lawyer in the show but what's the best pure lawyer show the judge there was no you know what there was one and i can't remember it, it strangely there was a show on bet What's that noise? That's not me. Vicente, can you Someone, mute yourself? Is he doing his wash? Um, BET lawyer show. Hang on. What there about was, Just Mercy? Hang on. In Contempt. There was a show called In Contempt, which was about a public defender. I mean, it's definitely still fictionalized. But as far as what it's like being a public defender, that was pretty, that was pretty close. That was on, that was on BET. Uh, in case you have BET. Wait, 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 hold on. You sensei Richard? Yes. Can you mute yourself yeah. for one second? Alright, is the sound, sound gone? Yeah. Okay. Alright, Mr. Yu. Most of them aren't, you know, a lot of times, you know, being a, being a regular lawyer day in and day out is rather boring. So, if you ask, like, what's a, what's a really good show that shows it, it they wouldn't make it. They wouldn't make one about a guy just sitting in his office <laughs> yeah. reading reading FBI reports for six hours, you know. So it's it's all fairly dramatic, and the clients are usually never quite as as cool as some of the the clients on TV. 
man, I don't. I, if I was in a court, I would treat my lawyer like he was the Messiah. Yeah, but that might be why you'll never be in court. <laughs> you, you you would have a certain respect, and and you won't. I mean, it's a good look. Being a lawyer is a very good job. I mean, and it's also very, you know, we're just talking about criminal lawyers. You know, a lot of people will start out as a state's attorney or as a PD, get a lot of trial experience, and then they'll go work at a civil firm where they make a lot of more money. Um, you know, you can work for businesses. There's, there's a lot you can do with a, a law license. Have you ever seen the movie The Judge? I don't think so. It has Robert... The one that played Iron Man. It's about a judge that goes into trial. I did not see that movie. Oh, Should I? It's pretty interesting. It's a it's a judge that goes in trial for the murder of someone. All right, I can I can watch that. Oh, okay. And Vicente, is your mic working? How do I sound? Okay, you sound good. Okay. Yeah, I think you should um, ask this question. It's very important for me. Um. Okay. So, out of importance for Kevin, do you <laughs> think it's justifiable for people to say go through the immigration process? Is our immigration process uh, immigration process too strict, or is it too lenient? Is it just right, or can it be better? I do not know enough about our immigration laws or system to be able to answer that question got it i um definitely wish that politicians would stop using it as a political issue and actually vote on some legislation that would reform the system specifically more, you know, at a, at a minimum to help the people that are, are you know, considered dreamers the, under the old Dream Act that didn't pass. Um, that, I, that I definitely think. But I, I don't really know enough about our immigration to, to know. I heard, sorry, what were you going to say? No, go ahead. I didn't even know what I was going to say. Um, I, I talked about it a little bit earlier. Um, I, I think it was on Code Switch from NPR, but... They also kind of discussed about the uh, the situation because I think Biden recently released like a good amount of uh, the people who are in the uh, the camps over there the, mm -hmm. uh, across the border. And a lot of them are actually seeing their lawyers. They're actually following through with the process uh, compared to what a lot of, uh, you know, people who were, I, I guess, the Republican Party, um, if I really want to be honest. A lot of what they complain about was that if we just let, you know, uh, people come through the border, they're not going to go through the process and it's going to break the system. But they're actually doing the opposite of what they were expecting. They're actually seeing their lawyers, they're going to court, uh, they're following through just so they can get their, you know, their green cards, their visas and that stuff. Yeah, something I've, I've observed. Good. Okay, good. Yeah. Interesting how uh, politicians love to make everyone scared about these topics yeah i think it's the like just people are too misinformed yeah well i think politicians have a have a kind of a built-in incentive to keep people in a state of frenzy about issues they can fundraise off of it they can try and get power off of it 
actually solving the problem is not really a winning issue for many of them, unfortunately. It's just getting the people. Yeah, I mean, you know, right right now we we have a Democratic president, a Democratic House, and a Democratic Senate. They, they passed the Dream Act. You know, I mean, they're spend they're, they're they're working on other things, and I understand that. I'm not picking on any on any anybody you're saying, but you know, they they've got maybe until the next election before they the the Republicans take control of one or more of the houses of Congress. So. You know, they, they, it would be my kind of conspiracy-ish thing that, you know, if they wanted to solve the problem, if they wanted to have immigration reform, then they could put that on the agenda and they could pass a, try and pass legislation with their, with their majorities. But I think they get a lot more by being able to keep it as an issue, as a wedge issue. So, uh, I, you know. If you asked about my worldview earlier, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a fan of most politicians. I don't think none of us are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, but I they mean, do have they do have horrible uh, you know approval ratings across the board. Especially Vicente. Oh yeah, I hate. Uh, I think you already know how I am with the uh, politics, Mr. Eagle. I'm very anti uh, bipartisan um, partisanship in general. I just don't like it. I, uh, we're twins on that one. Yeah, triplets. <laughs> what I always, I always, I probably shouldn't, if you have a, if a thing, I always joke that sometimes I'm surprised they, they have me teaching government and, and politics, given <laughs> how much I hate government and politics. But, but it's good crazy. to acknowledge the flaws of government. Well, I keep, I mean, I, I keep all of my, I, I will not discuss any of my personal beliefs in, in class. So I, I teach government, I teach the politics, but I just think it's funny sometimes. It's like, <laughs> I hate them all. I think every politics is worthless, but... <laughs> Sometimes I just hate how our country is way too divided. Like, yeah. yeah. And again, that's what I was talking about. I think they have an interest in keeping us divided. The the network, the the you know MSNBC and Fox make make millions and millions of dollars off of us being divided. Facebook, Twitter, they make money because we're fighting with each other. Politicians, they make money. They get to they get to fundraise. They get to send letters. Quick, we need to do something. And, it's just it's in their interest. Who benefits? Yeah, the whole system itself is pretty rigged from the start. You can't really get reliable news from anywhere. It I think recently the uh what is his name? The anchorman for CNN, uh Cuomo, he's uh I, I don't know if he's brothers, but he's related to the actual mayor of uh, New York. Yeah, so they're brothers. Yeah, he got fired recently Governor, uh, uh -huh. because of that, because uh the implications I think. I, I don't remember but Basically, he he was basically giving Kumo the, uh, you know, he would, like, avoid talking about the issues uh, surrounding his brother just for the fact of, you know, publicity, I, you know, just to save his face. Right. He was he was he was actively working on his brother's campaign to manage the news and silence the news. Yeah. Yeah. It's very hard to find good truth at these uh, these times. I gotcha. It is. Besides, I had to, a lot of different sources. It's a little bit more open, but uh, what is Wait, it? Hold called? on, hold on, hold on. Oh, no, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was it? I actually took a class recently about the uh, the modern history of China, and a lot of the things that I learned about were like, huh, the U.S.'s betrayal of China goes way back. Of just trying to, you know, deface it. Uh, manipulated 
However, the U.S. is currently using the same arguments now. It, it's just very funny how things don't really change. Yeah, that's one of the one of my common refrains in in the AP class and even now civics. I use a different curriculum. It's like there's not much new. You know, we've 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 had debates about most of the same thing we're having. You know, there were debates about keeping the Irish out. There were, there were debates about um, foreign policy or presidents or wh whatever it is. There's not a lot that's new, which is which follows on the because things don't change, right? We, we we fight the same battles, but that's it. Mr. Eagle, yes, sir. Aren't you Irish? I am not Irish. What? You lied to me, Kevin. I thought he was Irish. What what part of eagle would, would sound I remember asking you what the like you said your grandfather changed his last name into eagle or something. He did, but from 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 Aquila, which is Italian for eagle. Oh, you are you Italian? And a quarter. A quarter. That's, wow. that's good enough. I mean, my grand or not even that an eighth. My 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 paternal grandfather. Uh, and his family were from Italy. The rest are from Russia and Ukraine. Oh, fancy. Wow. Yeah. So, there's a little sent, extra. We sent this from Mexico. I, okay. <laughs> really? <laughs> Who would have known? I did. <laughs> um, All right. There's uh, one really good question. It's the last question. This is the last All one. Right. So what do you think about the implications of the Kyle Rittenhouse case? And does it set the precedent for vigilantism in the U.S. and dangerous gatherings of armed militias? I, I hope not. I, I, don't, I don't think that that case was so unique in the circumstances of the actual shooting that I don't think it will. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't want to make a prediction on that. I, I think it would be interesting to just see if it also stops riotous behavior at, at, I mean, you know, Kenosha they, was being burned, right? It was, I mean, it was a little bit more than just a protest, a peaceful protest. So, right. um, you know, by the same token of it may encourage people to start patrolling their towns with, with, uh semi-automatics uh i think it also may tend to simmer down some of the the tensions um maybe not for a good good way so i i, I don't know but generally i think that that case is so unique in the way that it happened um i mean the actual shooting that that i don't think it'll have any lasting effect i think mm. people will and i've almost already forgotten about it yeah. We have a very short attention span in this country. That's what my teacher said. <laughs> what? That we have a short attention span? Yep. Yeah. We we, we, we move on. You know, for it was the the Afghan withdrawal was one of the biggest things to happen and nobody talks about it anymore. If you could just wait for two weeks, the topic will change. That reminds me of like um, less than that, like two days probably. Yeah. yeah it reminds me of the uh the israeli uh palestine uh issue that was like i think it lasted like maybe a week or two but that was mainly because people were concerned oh are we gonna get bombed they all do even at the beginning of the biden administration the southern border was a huge story and yeah. then 
you know, if you're interested in it, you're still following it, but everybody else is pretty much like, you know, what border? They, they just moved on to something else and there'll be something else next week. It's, we, we don't solve a problem. We just move on to another one and the other one's still there until it comes up, you know, maybe in the summer it'll pop up again, but I don't know. On that depressing note, but <laughs> like I'm, I, actually, I'm actually a very hopeful person. But, optimistic. Uh, I, I, that, I, am, I am actually optimistic. I don't know why, but uh, that's but good. I, I, I do think it'll get better. That's something will happen. <laughs> My history teacher, like after, like, because well, we'll be discussing like about like the past USA history with the wars and stuff. So pretty much like at the end of the class, he tried to end it on a good note. Sometimes it doesn't happen. <laughs> no, sometimes, but we. I mean, you know what? Sometimes I do look. I mean, I think Rock and I just kind of mentioned it. Sometimes if you look at the history of the country, the the, the changes that we have made over the you know 233 years of the constitution um it's a lot freer it's a lot it, it, it's not perfect by any stretch but um it's a lot better than it was at other parts of of history so we may be making slow changes that aren't fast enough for certain people and i can certainly understand that but um we are we are hopefully trending in the right direction Right, because I don't know. I like to take a lot of different courses. Um, they, a lot of them don't really uh, just general ideas. Like, uh, let me see. I, I told you about my uh, my Chinese Chinese history yeah. course. Uh, that in itself already showed like a lot of what the U.S.'s influences on in the world. Uh, just like law and everything. And then I also took another course that discussed a lot about the refugees in Africa, uh, like South Sudan, Kenya, and everything. It's just it's crazy how much influence uh, this country has and how everyone else is kind of watching from a distance. Yeah. Well, you guys are not to, not to end it on such a teacher note, but you guys are the next generation. You guys are the ones that are going to take your place as the leaders. So. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> We're doomed. <laughs> We're doomed. Yeah. Well, like I said, I don't know why I'm optimistic, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know. About optimistic <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, don't worry. We'll cancel the next Hitler. We'll be fine. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go live off in the desert somewhere. While you we were. We were just eating typos like two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh right. <laughs> uh, we were doing Gangnam Style. I've music. never. I've never felt glad to be so old. That's right. <laughs> I won't be. I won't be here. That's fine. <laughs> I'll leave it for the next generation. <laughs> exactly. Leave a big mess. Just Kanye West for president. Hey, like Omni Man. What? Vicente. Yeah. Like Omni Man. What's another 17 years? Oh my god. Omni Man. Right. Yeah, Omni Man. I'm out. Oh. All right, Mr. Eagle. Thank you for joining us. Yeah. Thank you. Truly, I think it's great what you guys are doing. I'm glad you guys are still hanging out with each other. I'm glad you're doing this. That's the kind of thing that, that does actually give me hope. You guys are. You guys are. are Rock solid kids. You're not kids. Uh, Rock solid young adults. <laughs> Richard's parents pays us. Oh, whatever. <laughs> you, know, you guys are you guys are all out there doing it, and I appreciate it. This episode yes. was my so, idea. All right. <laughs> I will stay in touch, though. All right. All right. All right. Thank you. Stay safe. Enjoy holidays. Thank you. Yeah. Enjoy holidays. Thank you for joining us. Thank you all for listening. This is another episode of Vibe Squad. Have a good holiday. And 
listen to your lawyers. All right, and <laughs> probably stay tuned for the next episode. We might bite, yeah. might be doing an episode with a with a with a with, with what? <laughs> a storyteller? I think you said one no, time no, no. storyteller no, no. uh, or a tile book artist. All right, nice. All yeah, right. so stay tuned, you guys. You know, uh, go check us out on Spotify, and yeah, I hope you all enjoy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye.